Good morning. Once again, my name is Pastor Jonathan, and whether you're a visitor or a regular attender or a member, uh, I am so grateful that you are here today. I'm grateful that you have made it a priority to be in the Lord's house today and to join us. Now, the first real job that I ever had was working at Starbucks. Uh, Now, I had odd and end jobs throughout the years. I worked part-time on my college campus, but the first job I ever had with a real company that offered benefits of any type was with Starbucks while I was in college. Now, when I was working there in the early 2000s, Starbucks was known for its amazing benefits for its employees. For example, if an employee worked there just 20 hours, they were able to get health insurance, not only for them, but also for their family relatively cheap. And so we had a lot of people that worked there when I was there just for the health insurance benefits for their family. And they also had other benefits that as a 20-year-old, I didn't really know anything about, like 401k matching. I didn't even know what a 401k was. Uh, They had uh, stock options at a discounted rate. None of that mattered to me. There was only one benefit at the age of 20 that really mattered to me, and that was free coffee. Yes. Every week, I got a free pound of coffee, and every shift, every three hours, I got a free beverage of whatever I wanted to make for myself. And so throughout the years, I came up with some disasters of drinks that I created, and I came up with some also amazing drinks that I still order these days. And not only that, but I also got 50% of anything while I, off while I was not working. And so those were the benefits that I was there for. Those were the benefits I was interested in. Uh, we get benefits in our culture, don't we? When we start a job today, what do we want to know? We want to know what are the benefits? How's this going to benefit me? What are the extras? What are the perks? Even today, if you sign up for a cell phone plan now, if you sign up for T-Mobile, they're doing like Netflix on us. And all of these other cell phone companies are following suit. They give you benefits for signing up for their company. Or maybe when you're looking for a new credit card or a new bank account, uh, there are the extras, there are these perks, there are these benefits. See, we understand benefits in our culture, don't we? Well, today in the text, Paul has just told us extensively Uh, that the wrath of God is coming for everyone. And then he's just told us that for those who believe and have faith in Jesus Christ, there's salvation in Jesus Christ. And today, Paul continues saying, not only are you saved or justified, and not only is the righteousness of Jesus Christ placed upon you, but there's also a lot of benefits in this salvation, in this justification. So today in our text, Paul tells us six benefits that come along with the salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're visiting with us for the year of 2023, what we're doing is we're walking through the book of Romans. And so we've made it up to Romans 5 so far. And then so today we're going to pick up in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Last week when we looked at Romans, we looked at all of Romans chapter 4, and we discovered that our God is a promise keeper, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And today, as we look in the book of Romans, at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, uh, we will discover the blessings of salvation and that we as Christians have much reason to rejoice. I'm going to give you the big idea on the front end as well as on the back end. The big idea for today is this, because Jesus paid it all, today we have reason to rejoice. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, take them out and turn with me to the book of Romans. If you didn't bring a Bible today, that is okay. Uh, We should have one in the seat in front of you that you can use. 
And today you can find our passage on page 885. If you don't own a Bible today, uh, we would love for you to take uh, that Bible with you as our gift. We believe that everybody should own a copy of God's Word. And so take that, write your name in it. That is your gift if you do not own a Bible. But for today, let's pick up reading in Romans chapter 5, and we'll read all of verses 1 through 11 to begin our time today. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation." Paul begins in verse 1 with the word, therefore. And Paul, who's just told us that from 118 all the way to 320, that the wrath of God is coming. But then he tells us in 320 through all the way through the end of 4, but now the righteousness of God is available for all who have faith and believe in Jesus Christ. He now says, therefore, for those of you who have been justified, for those of you who have been saved, here are six blessings. Here are six benefits for your salvation. So Paul begins in the second half of verse 1 by showing us the first blessing of our justification. The first benefit of our salvation in Jesus Christ is we have peace with God. And what does this mean? Well, notice Paul doesn't say we will have peace with God or he doesn't say we might have peace with God. But Paul says presently and currently If we are a child of God, then we presently have peace with God. I mean, this is huge. We just walked through almost two chapters of Paul telling us that no one is entitled or exempt past the wrath of God. But now Paul says, as a result of our salvation, we are at peace with God. This is how we as believers are able to say, regardless of whatever it is that's going on in our life, it's well with our soul. See, everything around us may be exploding and everything in our lives may be falling apart, but we are presently experiencing the peace of God because we are at peace with God. However, for the one who doesn't believe, for the unbeliever, their lives are marked by restlessness and guilt and shame. Restlessness because they're not at peace with God. But the gospel brings the believer's soul's rest because we are at peace with God. People today love the idea of peace, don't they? And they often talk about it. I mean, even my Apple Watch, 
Like when I'm just sitting there and I, I guess I'm stressed out, I don't know, it tells me, hey, you need to breathe. And I'm like, stop talking to me. Don't tell me I need to breathe right now. I'm worried about something, right? <laughs> and then even at night, like my wife's trying to rub essential oils on me to get me to calm down or whatever it may be. You know, and then the commercials show images of these calm walks and these peaceful bike rides. Uh, but this is all a facade, isn't it? Because at the end of those day, none of those things bring true peace. See, true peace is only found in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, with our souls being at peace with our Creator. See, certain experiences like that, uh, I'm not knocking essential oil, sorry about that. Uh, see, certain experiences uh, can give us a certain temporary sense of peace, but a true peace can only be found through salvation in Jesus Christ. For the believer, there's a certain level of confidence and rest that comes with knowing that we have peace with God that no one else in the world can experience because we know that we are at peace with God. I mean, what a blessing is that? So the first blessing, the first benefit of our salvation is knowing that we are at peace and we have the peace of God. Then Paul continues in the second part of verse 2, and he says the second benefit of our salvation is we stand in grace in the first part of 2, he says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And here in verse 2, Paul says that something gloriously positive has been provided. We now have a near relationship with God, and we're standing in his grace. Now, when we normally think of grace in the Bible, we think of God's free and unmerited favor and his undeserved and unsolicited and unconditional love, and that's true here. However, the usage of this word is not so much the quality of the graciousness of God, but as much as the outcome of the grace of God, which is our privileged position of acceptance by him. It's the idea of this ongoing favor that we're resting in, that we possess because of our new relationship with him. See, we were a people who our home address was the wrath of God. But now our permanent home address is the grace of God. It's where we get our mail at. It's where we tell people to find us. It's where we give them our address to put in Google Maps at. Hey, where can you find me? You can find me as a saved person residing in the grace of God. And this is a privileged home address. We see this in 1 Peter where we're told that of our privilege as a people who are, have an inheritance that is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's being kept in heaven for us. We're told that God is guarding us by his power through faith for our future salvation in him. So now we are presently and forever residing in our forever home, which is the grace of God. I grew up moving a lot, and just by the nature of this area, I know many people in this room are people who have moved a lot as well. However, God's grace is now our permanent address, folks. And we never have to move away from the grace of God. It's because of this grace that we're presently residing in and standing in that we now have access to God. So we have this new identity as children of God, and that comes with the blessing of access to our Father. And Pastor Tim Keller said this about this verse. He said, The only person that dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child of the king. And today, because of the grace of God, because of our new identity as children of God, we now have that kind of access to the king of kings who is God our father. 
what a privilege it is to have the grace of God as our permanent address, to stand in grace and to not be under the judgment of God. What a privilege it is to know God as our Father who is, stands ready to hear our cries. And what a privilege it is to have access to take everything to the Lord in prayer. See, becoming a Christian involves entering a world of the Father's grace and we have access to Him. We can go to Him at any time and He hears us He listens to us, and he knows us, and yet he loves us. So the second benefit of our salvation is we stand in the grace of God, and we have access to him. Paul continues in the second half of verse 2, and he says our third benefit of our salvation is we stand in glorious hope. He says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What an amazing reality is it that Christian hope is not an uncertain hope, but it's a confident assurance that we have. In our life, we have many uncertain hopes, don't we? Uh, I hope that the weather is pretty. Uh, Good luck in West Texas, right? Or I hope that this sermon is short. Good luck. You've known me long enough, right? Or I, I hope that my spouse is not mad that we're going out to eat because I forgot to put whatever it was in the crock pot, right? Or I hope that my parents don't make me clean my room this afternoon, kids, right? Now it's going to happen, I can promise you. See, these are uncertain hopes that we have in this life. However, our Christian hope is not uncertain. It is a joyful and a confident expectation that rests on the promises of God. And like we saw last week in the story of Abraham in chapter 4, our God is a promise keeper And he keeps his promises. If God has said it, he has meant it, and he means it forever and ever. Amen. So our hope in the glory of God gives us reason to rejoice. We have a confident assurance that heaven is coming and that one day we'll be in the fullness of the glory of God. Now, one of my favorite verses that I love is John 17, 24. And it's Jesus praying to his father, praying to God. And he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me. So Jesus desires that we're with him. Well, what are we going to do? Where I am to see my glory. See, on earth, the sin of this world fills it with darkness and death and pain and disease. However, in heaven, we will be in the presence of the fullness of the glory of God forever. And here on earth, we can only momentarily catch a glimpse of the glory of God. But in heaven, we'll be living in the fullness of his glory forever. So we can rejoice in our future because of what Jesus has accomplished in the past and what he is presently accomplishing. And so we can have peace with God as a result of our past forgiveness. And we're standing in grace as our present privilege. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which is our future inheritance. That is our confident assurance. And that confident assurance, that hope that we stand in, gives us the ability to rejoice in what Paul is about to tell us next. So the third benefit of our salvation is we stand in glorious hope. Paul continues in verses 3 through 5 saying this. He says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. So the fourth benefit of our salvation is we have reason to rejoice in our sufferings. Paul's just told us, hey, God has promised you heaven. God's a promise keeper. And you have hope, a confident assurance in this promise of being in the fullness of his glory forever. 
so we can rejoice in our future, but Paul says we can also rejoice in our present because of what Jesus has accomplished in the past. See, we can rejoice in our present sufferings. Now, hold up a second. What did you just say here, Paul? When we suffer, we can rejoice in that? Really? Now, that is countercultural. But the word suffering here, we can understand that to be the word for tribulation. Or, and that comes from the underlying word of being put under pressure. So the imagery that Paul's painting with this word here to the original reader is maybe the pressure of that which was an olive being put under the press to get olive oil out of it. Or maybe it was a grape that was being put under pressure and being squeezed in order to extract the juice from it to make wine. Now, our family doesn't make a habit of extracting our own olive oil or our own grape juice. Uh, We just go down to H-E-B like other good Texans. However, what we do have at our house is a pressure cooker. I mean, that's an amazing invention over the past few years, or maybe it's not from the past few years, but it's new to us. We're sort of behind in the times like that. Uh, But we got this pressure cooker, and you put all of your potatoes and your green beans and your bacon and your chicken and your sausage and oil and a little bit of butter in there, and then you just turn the pressure up, and then you have this amazing meal just a few minutes later. I mean, we get that illustration, don't we? In order to get the best out of something, sometimes we have to squeeze it. Sometimes it has to go under pressure for the best to rise to the top, for the best quality to come out. I think back to when I started my music degree, and I walked in confident as myself in beginning my music degree as any 18-year-old you've ever met. Uh, You would have thought that I had just won American Idol the way that I walked in. However, my voice teacher, uh, who knew this, and she had seen this over and over, knew that she had to teach me humility first in order to be able to teach me anything. So she made me do this amazing thing now looking back at it. She made me listen to all these recordings of these amazing singers over and over and take notes on them. And then she made me learn the same exact songs and to record my voice lessons and then for me to take notes on my voice lessons and to observe why I didn't sound like the professional singer, what my errors were. See, once she had applied the pressure of showing me that I wasn't a professional singer, she said, now I can work with you. And now I can teach you some things. See, when we go through pressure, oftentimes humility rises to the top. And we end up on the other side of it having grown and we're able to grow a little bit more. I had a pastor friend of mine this past week and he told me, he said, hey, Jonathan, uh, sometimes God lets us go through difficult times to empty us of us and to fill us with our dependence and our reliance upon him. That's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying, hey, when you're going through suffering, rejoice in it. Well, why? Because when you are suffering, you are pressure cooking. You're being squeezed, and it's teaching you to fully rely upon God. It's teaching you to endure. See, we're not suffering without hope, but we are suffering with a confident assurance that heaven is coming, and our present suffering is growing us in endurance. James had something to say about that, didn't he? We read that at the beginning of our service. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, where he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, as we suffer, it produces steadfastness and it produces endurance. And we're learning to endure our present reality because of our future hope. 
We can almost picture our suffering as helping us to focus on what is really important, to remember what it is that is lasting, to remember what it is that is internal. But that's not, only the, that's not the only outcome, is it? Paul also says that our endurance, our perseverance, then produces what? Character. See, as we suffer well, our character is being shaped. And our character is being shaped to look more and more like Jesus. And this comes through our confidence of having come on the other side of trials, of suffering. And we look back and we're like, hey, I didn't think I could make it through that. I didn't think I could make it through that trial. I didn't think I could make it over that mountaintop. But then we say, but God, right? But God brought me through it. God did it. Believers, is that your testimony today? Amen. I came upon an impossible trial, an impossible mountain to climb over, but God brought me on the other side of it, and I look back, and the only answer I have today is God did it. See, our endurance produces character, a character of being tested and a character of having confidence in the promises of God. And our testimony becomes this. Hey, I didn't know how God was going to do it, but I did know he was going to do it, right? He did it before, and he'll do it again. We are confident in the promises of God. Therefore, our character that we gain through this endurance and suffering produces what? Hope. We now have a confident assurance in the promises of God. Why? Because he did it before and won't he do it again? There was a song that was sung before my time, and it's not sung that much anymore, uh, but yet it's always really spoken to my heart. And the words say this. It said, I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There's been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave me blessed consolation that my trials only come to make me strong. And through it all and through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. And he continues, he says, I thank God for the mountains. I thank him for the valleys. I thank him for the storms he's brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem... I wouldn't know that God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. Through it all and through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Believer, if you are suffering today, or if suffering is behind you, or if suffering is in front of you in your future, wherever you are, know this. Our trials and our suffering exist to teach us that we can hope in God. They're teaching us to trust him. And I'm giving testimony to you today. God has brought me through suffering. God has brought me through trials. I've seen God bring others through suffering and through trials. And I believe that the same God of Abraham, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, will do it again. Believer, let's rest in that. Let's abide in that. So the fourth benefit of our salvation is this. We have reason to rejoice in our sufferings. Paul then continues in the second half of verse 5, verse 8, saying this. He says, Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So our fifth benefit of our salvation is we have the love of God. 
Paul tells us that there's two ways we can see evidence of the love of God that we presently have. And the first we see in verse 5, it's the first way we can see evidence of the love of God is through the Holy Spirit residing within all of us who are believers. So when we place our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy God, the Holy Spirit resides in us and dwells in us. And the very fact that God gives his Holy Spirit to indwell us as believers to is a testimony to his marvelous and overflowing love for us because God would hardly indwell those with whom he didn't love, right? Paul even says later in Romans 8, 16, he says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs. And then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. So we can have hope even amidst our suffering. We can rejoice in the glory of God. and We have peace with God, knowing that God's love has been evidenced and made known to us through his spirit that has been given to us. So the first way that we can see evidence of the love of God is through the Holy Spirit that resides in each of us that are believers. The second way that we can see evidence that we have the love of God is through the death of Jesus Christ, like we see in verses 6 through 8. Paul says, while you were still weak, while you were still ungodly, God sent his only son to die for you. We were unable to save ourselves. We were helpless. And when at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Not only were we ungodly, but verse 8 says, Christ did this while we were still sinners. And then we see in verse 10, he says, he even did this while we were still his enemies. And Paul says that the evidence of the love of God through the death of Jesus Christ is unlike anyone else because Christ did not die for good people. We are not good people. And Christ did not die for good people, but rather he died for his enemies those who are ungodly, those who were not worthy of his love. We've all heard stories about the secret service in, in our country who uh, their sole job is to protect the life of uh, the president of the United States, to sustain the office of the president of the United States. And we can understand that. A person jumps in, the, in front of a bullet and they take a bullet for the office so that the stability of our nation continues. But yet Christ died for his enemies. Christ died for us while we were still his enemies. And see, the evidence of the love of God is displayed through the death of Jesus. And hear me, we'll never understand the cost of the cross until we begin to fully understand the depth of our sin. See, the greatness of God's love is displayed in our unworthiness of it and in the cost of it. So we know the love of God through the Holy Spirit given to us as a gift, and second, through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ, for us. And sinners, we are a blessed people, and we have much reason to rejoice today. Why? Remember, we have peace with God. We stand in the grace of God with access to him. We have hope in the glory of God. We have reason to rejoice in our sufferings, and we have the gift of the love of God. Paul then continues with his final and sixth benefit of our salvation in verses 9 through 10. He tells us this, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So the sixth and final benefit that we have of our salvation is we have the assurance of salvation. In our culture, we're a people who like assurances, don't we? We like to be confident that what we're being told is really going to come to reality. And Paul here is seeking to give us as believers assurances declaring that we are saved now and forever. 
And Paul says, presently we fear the wrath of God, but we have no reason to fear because we have been and we will be forever saved from the wrath of God. Why? Because we have been forever justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, when God sees us, like we said over and over, he doesn't see our sinfulness, but yet he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which has been placed upon us, which has been imputed upon us. And we become just in the eyes of God, because Jesus got what he did not deserve, death on a cruel cross, and we get what we do not deserve, which is forgiveness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And this is good news. This is something that we as believers should never get over. We should never get past that we deserve the wrath of God, but we have been redeemed and purchased and bought and justified and saved by the wrath of God. And hear me, if we're ever tempted to get over the gratitude that should fill our hearts when we think about the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, then it's probably because we've forgotten what it is that we were deserving of, the wrath of God. Why are we gathered here today? We're gathered here to worship God, to glorify Him. Why? Because, firstly, of who He is and what He's done, but also why do we gather weekly for worship? Why is it meant for us to gather weekly? Because we as humans are forgetful people. I mean, I don't have to give you any testimony to that. Like they created these Apple AirTags because humans can't even keep up with their keys, right? Like we need things to help us keep up with our stuff. We're a forgetful people. Even much more so, how much quickly can we forget the depth of our sin and the cost of the cross? So we gather weekly to remember and to remind each other that, hey, Jesus Christ is Lord. And in fact, that means that I'm not Lord. And we also gather to remember, hey, I deserve death, but yet I'm standing in God's good grace. It's been said that in this world, nothing is certain but death and taxes. But as believers, we can also add something to this list. We can know for certain that Jesus Christ will finally, fully, and forever save us. Let's rest in that. So the sixth benefit of our salvation is we have assurance of salvation. Finally, Paul summarizes everything he's just said in verse 11. Let's read that now. It says this, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, with through, through whom we now have received reconciliation. So Paul has just told us that we are a blessed and we are a benefited people because we have God's gift of salvation. He's told us, hey, Christian, you have a reason to rejoice today. You can rejoice because we have peace with God. We can rejoice because we have God's grace and access to him. We can rejoice because we have hope in the glory of God. We can rejoice because our suffering is not without purpose. We can rejoice because we have the love of God. And we can rejoice because we have assurance of salvation. Christian, Paul's point is here today that we have much reason to rejoice. Today, won't you rejoice in your Redeemer won't you rest in your Redeemer who has reconciled you? He is worthy. He is enough. His word is proclaiming that he is worthy. Would you trust his word today? Would you believe his word today that you can rest in your Redeemer? You can rejoice in your Redeemer. And would you believe God's word today, the benefits of your salvation, the chief being that you have something freely given that was undeserved, your salvation in Jesus Christ? So today, I wonder how we might apply this to our lives. Today, I just have three quick reminders of applications from our message today. And the first being this, hey, believer, rejoice. Heaven's coming. Believers, remember, 
Heaven is coming and we have much reason to rejoice. We rejoice because we have peace with God, because of God's grace, because of the hope of glory of God, because our suffering is not without purpose, because we have the love of God. We rejoice because we have salvation. Hey, and let's remember, this life is not forever. We're going through suffering, we're going through tribulation, but this is not forever. Let's stay focused on heaven. Let's be reminded that heaven is coming and let's rejoice in that. There's much in this world that's seeking to cause you to not rejoice, right? But in Jesus Christ, through the gift of salvation, through the forgiveness of our sins, we have much reason to rejoice. So believer, rejoice. Heaven is coming. Second application. We've already talked about this some, but endure. Heaven's coming. We've already talked about the pressures and trials of this life, and I never want to downplay the severity of the trials that we face as believers. I mean, there's even some around our world that presently and currently are facing persecution and torture because they hold to the same confession that we've made here today, right? Jesus Christ is Lord. There is much cost to our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether it be physical or whether it be with our friends and our family. There are pressures and there are trials. However, I want you to remember this and hear me when I say this. God's priority is not to take away all your problems. God's priority is not to take away all your problems. God's priority is to make you more like Jesus. And the Christian message is not, hey, come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. The Christian message, the Christian testimony is these sufferings, these afflictions, these trials are making me more like Jesus. So today, when you're going through suffering or you're about to go through suffering and trials, ask the question, how is this making me more like Jesus today? Look beyond the trials and look for the hope of tomorrow, the hope of heaven. The great reformer Martin Luther said it like this in his old hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He said, the body they may kill, but God's truth abide of still. Believer, endure. Heaven is coming. And finally, Remember and tell others. Believers, remember heaven is coming and we have much reason to rejoice. But let's also remember that for many, heaven, they have much reason to dread because the reality that awaits them is not heaven, but it's hell. So let's remember while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly and Christ showed his love while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And let's remember this good news and let's share this message with others. Let's share this message with the one that God has laid on our hearts, that there is a God and he is holy. He created everything that we can see and we can touch and we can feel. And he is perfect and he cannot be associated with sin. Yet all of us as humans, we're sinful. We've all done something wrong. We've all lied, stolen, cheated, lusted. We've done something against God's law. And this creates a problem because our sin separates us from the God from God in this life and the next, and therefore we need help. We need a rescue. But God loved us so much, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth as a baby, fully God and fully man. And Jesus lived a fully perfect sinless life here on earth, but yet he went to a cross for your sins and for my sins. And so that three days later, uh, and he died for your sins and my sins. And then three days later, he defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave. So that today, you don't have to remain separated from him. But we all can have a redeemer named Jesus Christ. If we turn from our sins, if we believe and have faith in Jesus Christ and follow him, then we will be saved from our sin that separates us from him. So today, who is it that you can share that truth with? Who needs to hear the message in your circle of influence? Believer, remember, heaven is coming, but not for everyone.
So let's remember and let's tell others. Our big idea for today is this. Because Jesus paid it all, today we have reason to rejoice. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Believer in this room, hey, let's rejoice. Heaven's coming. Don't let the world persuade you from your joy. Don't let your trials persuade you from your joy, but let's rejoice in the Lord. Heaven is coming. Believers, remember, endure. Heaven is coming. Sometimes the pressure is there just to make us more like Jesus. So let's look through our trials to how we're becoming more like Jesus. Believers, let's remember, not everybody's going to heaven, so let's tell others. If you're in this room and you've never believed in Jesus Christ and you don't have a relationship with him, you don't have the confidence of salvation, I've already shared the good news of Jesus Christ earlier today. I just want to plead with you. Would you call on the name of the Lord for salvation today? To be forgiven in him. In a moment when we sing a song, that's the moment that you can come down front and I can help you walk through this. Whatever it is that you need to do, the altar is open, whether you need to come pray or you need to come meet with me. Let's do business with the Lord today. Church, I love you so much. Let's pray.